Friends, I'm going to invite up the Wong family to light our Advent, first Advent candle this morning. Come on up. Hi, kids. Isn't it, it's in December in three days. Do you remember what happens in December? I guess they open my advent calendar. Okay, Emmeline, what does December mean to you? When the T-Wars love Christmas. Okay, that's right. And this is Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. What is Advent? You guys know what Advent is? Some kind of season. Yes, it's some kind of season. Advent actually means the coming. It's a season that we prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. And each Sunday we will light a candle to show Jesus we are waiting for his return. Do you see the candles there? Mm-hmm. Okay, you don't want to read? I have to read. That's fine. So Colossians 1.27. Before we read that, we have to know that there's five Advent calendars here. I mean, Advent candles. I'm confusing calendars and candles. Do you, what do you think these five candles represent? Mm, Advent. Okay, they all represent Advent, and each candle represents something about Advent. So today's one, the first one of Advent, represents hope. And I'm just going to read you the verse that talks about hope. So Colossians 1.27, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so let's uh, light the uh, candles, and then we can say a prayer after that. Hmm? Do we take this one? Do we light this one? Well, we can't light that one. We have to light this one. We can light this, but it will burn and melt. <laughs> so let's all come over here and light the candle. Okay, which one should we light? The one closest to the candle on the plate. No, which one of these? Uh. The one closest. Hmm. Okay. Why don't we like the uh, middle one? That one's for the Christmas day. Yes, that one's for Christmas day. Okay, so everybody, let's light this, the one that represents hope. Okay, so let's uh, bow our heads and say the Advent prayer. So Jesus, who brings hope into hopeless situations, we thank you for your coming. 
We light this candle as a reminder of the hope that you will come again one day. As we wait for your return, we ask you, Jesus, to enter into our hearts and encourage us when we face hopelessness and to help us put on the full armor of God. Come and bring hope to this broken world of ours. I mean, many can promise hope, but only you will bring the true hope for all mankind. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. There we go. Good morning, church. May the grace and the peace of the Lord be with you. All right. My name is Winston. And my name is Becky. Yeah, and we want to just welcome you all here to service, uh, and also for those who are joining us online. Um, if you're new to uh, Fraserlands, we just want to give you a warm welcome, and uh, also let you know that um, there's a digital connect form in the back uh, that you can scan or online. We'd love to get to know you a little bit more, so if you want to get connected, uh, please fill out those forms. Um, at this time, uh, we just want to give a few moments for you all to just stand up uh, and greet each other um, and uh, extend the grace and, uh, and peace of the Lord to each other. We'll just give you a few minutes to do that. All right, this morning we have a few announcements. Firstly, the church is collecting Christmas hampers. Today is the last Sunday to pick up boxes to be filled to Lytton from behind the info counter. Prayer Summit is this afternoon. We hope that you can join us from 3 to 4 o'clock on Zoom. For more information, please go to the church website. Please note for this year's donations, the final date for offering by donating publicly traded securities in 2021 is December 5th, 2021. Please submit all your paperwork to the church office before December 5th. If you would like to give a year-end Thanksgiving offering, we will be collecting a special offering for year-end Thanksgiving from December 1st to the 29th. Please indicate year and Thanksgiving when you give. Please note the 2021 donation deadline is Wednesday, December 29th. Offerings received after that will be considered part of 2022 offering. And if you would like to check your 2021 donation summary, please contact Jacqueline at Jacqueline at Fraselands.ca. We will be praying for the offering in a bit, but we'd just like to inform you that we're no longer using the bags to collect offering. If you've brought your offering, please place it at the back in the offering box um, near the doors between, between the two doors when you enter and exit, or use the alternate ways to give as posted on our website. If you're a guest with us, you're welcome to give, but please do not feel obligated to do so. We're so glad that you are here with us today. And our last announcement for this morning is for the Lights of Christmas Home Edition. The deadline for submissions is December 5th. Let's enter into a time of prayer.
Father in heaven, as we come before you today and begin this season of Advent, we pray that we can prepare our hearts and be still and reflect on the meaning of your arrival almost 2,000 years ago. We acknowledge that your, through your life, death, and resurrection, you are a gracious and merciful God. We give thanks to you for your love for us, for hearing our prayers and providing for our needs. And so as we come before you, Father, we lift up to you so many of our neighbors that, have, that are suffering from the impacts of the recent flooding and landslides here in our province. We pray for your comfort, peace, and hope for those who have lost so much this past week. In this time, Lord, we pray that as a community, we can support those in need. We also continue to pray for the governments and leaders at all levels to make wise decisions and to use resources to minimize further damage and restore these communities. Father, we also lift up to you the new variant of concern that was first detected in, in South Africa. As we are seeing the spread of this new variant, we lift up to you those countries and people that don't have the resources for vaccine, and we ask for your, for your protection. We give thanks, Lord, that here in Canada, we've seen a reduction in cases, and we thank you for the advancements in medicine that has allowed us to return to more of our normal lives, including being able to gather and worship here in your church. Father, we ask for your forgiveness as we confess our sins. Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another that we have sinned against you by what we have done, by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not fully loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not always had in us the mind of Christ. You alone know how often we have grieved you by wasting your gifts, by wandering from your ways. Forgive us, we pray you, most merciful Father, and free us from our sins. Renew, us, renew in us the grace and strength of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. Anyone who sins has an advocate with God. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. By his life, death, and resurrection, he has found the lost sheep and brings it back, rejoicing over one sinner that repents. In Jesus, we are never beyond the reach of God's love. And so today, in the name of Jesus, I proclaim to all of you who believe the gospel, in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Receive the good news. Finally, Father, we, uh, we just pray for today's offering. We thank you for what you have, done, what you have provided for us and, and that we can give back freely what belongs to you. We pray that you use uh, our offering to further your kingdom and bless those in need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our call to worship today comes from Psalms 105, verse 1. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Please join us as we come before the Lord and prepare our hearts for this time of worship.
All right, good morning, Frizzerlands. Um, I just invite everyone to stand, and if you are tuning in from online, would you prepare your hearts with us as we enter into this time of worship through song? Selfless faith, 
as we step into Advent, we sing this next song to welcome the coming of Jesus into our midst.
Thank you, worship team, for leading us in that time of worship. You guys may sit down. This morning, our scripture reading is found in Hebrews 2, chapters, chapter 2, verse 14 to 18. If you have a Bible, please join with me by turning to this passage in Hebrews. You can also follow along on the screen. Let us begin. Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Um, so I've been away for uh, four weeks, and um, I didn't go get voice surgery to get sexy voice. Uh, I, uh, I did something on Friday. Um, the voice is like a muscle, and you need to work it out. And uh, I didn't do much speaking for the last four weeks. I was uh, visiting my family in America, my wife's family. And uh, on Friday night, I was with the soldiers, the young adults, and I did a talking thing for about an hour and a half, and I woke up on Saturday with sexy voice. So um, I'm not sick. We actually, uh, uh, Vivian um, uses the thermometer check. I don't have a fever. I'm not sick. I just I got sexy voice this morning, guys, so you have to bear with us. <laughs> I always texted Pastor Josh this morning my uh, message, and he was going to have to give up, but he prayed for me instead. So that's all right. <laughs> so I've been away, and uh, we'll get through this morning together. Hey, there's uh, great stuff happening in our community. Um, I just want to encourage you, if you haven't already thought about a hamper for Christmas, we have a really amazing opportunity. Um, uh, if you don't know the story, I can't give you the full story, but we actually developed this relationship with the communities of Lytton and over the summertime. Um, we have uh, relational connections, and we established uh, um, a relationship with some of the community leaders out there after the fires came. We've been sending uh, teams with supplies uh, almost twice a month since the summertime. So uh, Pastor Xavier and Elder Nicholas have been in charge of that, but Pastor Abe and Pastor Josh have also gone. So we are actually um, located uniquely to be able to do something in response to the flood. It's actually um, this kind of amazing opportunity we have. And today's the last day to get a hamper. Um, there's an option for giving money, and that will go to either a hamper or perhaps something else. If we get over a certain amount of money, we don't need to give you know, 500 hampers. So, and we've already got quite a lot of money. It's really amazing outpouring, and the need is great, and we have an opportunity. So, I mean, If you want to make a hamper, please do so. Oh, thank you, Napoleon. I've already got some water. I know, you know this has been a great 
<laughs> effort together. So if you want information about the hampers, please go to our webpage or uh, try and pick one up today. Today is the last day. Let me also say we have prayer summit today. Uh, prayer summits are still online, um, but they've been happening. And uh, if you want to come, I really recommend it. Um, the prayer summits are really great. It's great for the church to gather in prayer, even online setting. And that's at 3 o'clock today. Let me encourage that. So let me pray. Pray for myself and I pray for us this morning. Father God, we thank you for um, all the good things you give, <clears throat> including amplification systems. We do pray for those communities in Linton and Merritt that now um, are having more rain and there's more destruction there, and we just ask for your blessing there. And uh, I pray for us this morning as we open your word, that we would be able to hear your voice. Amen. Okay. So, today is the first day of Advent. Uh, in the Christian calendar, Advent is the time before Christmas where we prepare our hearts for Jesus' coming. And um, this was kind of a cool thing. I was thinking about a theme for Advent, and I had a meeting, and Pastor Josh said, Ben, why don't we think about um, God moved into the neighborhood? And that was the same thing that I was thinking about. Um, as a church, we're thinking about uh, being a loving presence in the neighborhood, and Christmas, we remember when Jesus came to the world, and we both thought it was a good kind of theme for us. So this is our theme for the next six weeks. It'll go to after Christmas, um, God moved into the neighborhood. And uh, um, maybe we could say the idea like this. Our, our hope is that when Christians move into a neighborhood, uh, they bless the neighborhood. They bring joy and goodness and neighborliness. And that's modeled on what Jesus did because Jesus came to us. He didn't wait for us to come to him. We were really bad at that. He came to us. He came to our neighborhood to bless us. And when you move, there's a sense of permanence, a sense of kind of commitment to an area. Uh, I've, I've chosen John 1.14 as a kind of a theme verse. It's not my sermon for today, but um, I just want to share John 1.14 to start this series for us thinking about this idea. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. It's really amazing. This word for dwelling literally means to build a tent. And that's how you build your house in the ancient days. You build a tent. And um, another translation says, the word became flesh and made his home here. And we believe that, that God has come to make his home amongst us. And with that comes all the good things that God brings, joy, uh, salvation, light, truth. And we want our lives to be modeled on what, what God does. We want incarnational ministry. So today's topic is sort of the doctrinal underpinnings of this idea of God moving into the neighborhood. So today's kind of a, a topical look at a, a doctrine which is called the incarnation. Um, and the incarnation is the, the most literal way in which God moved into our neighborhood. That is, he became a human. So I've got three points today. Um, so what is the incarnation? And then two reasons for it. So what the incarnation is, and the two reasons. The first reason is, he was incarnated so he could die. And the second one is he was incarnated so he could suffer. Oh, man. All right, let's go. So what is the incarnation? So we're thinking about God moving into the neighborhood. The, the word incarnation is the same root word as the word carnal. So carnal has to do with flesh and body. And literally, incarnation is the act of being made flesh. It's not a common thing that people do. I don't think any of you have ever done that. <laughs> 
The Bible teaches us that God is spirit. So God does not have a body. God isn't located in one place. God is spirit. Um, all of you have a body. <laughs> all of you are located in one place at any given time, and we're different than God. And God's nature is fundamentally different to what our nature is. But the incarnation, the, the, the idea is that God, more specifically the second person of the Trinity, in history made a decision to take on human flesh. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, when God became man. And when he did so, he didn't stop being God, but he took on a second nature. So just to get technical for a little bit, there's one person and two natures in Jesus Christ. There is a God nature and a human nature, both in there. And if you want to ask me more about that, there's some interesting things I can say about that. We're not going to get too technical today, but uh, let's look what the Bible says. Um, so uh, our passage is Hebrews chapter 2. We see it at least two times in Hebrews 2. So in chapter 2, verse 14, can we get that up? Um, two, this is uh, one of the great uh, texts in the Bible that reflects on the incarnation. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, Since the children, it's talking about humanity, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. That's Jesus Christ. So it's really amazing. So one of the ways of defining humans, we have flesh and blood. And Jesus shared in our human nature. Amazing. He didn't have flesh and blood. And when he was conceived in the womb of Mary and then born, took on flesh and blood, human nature. Um, and verse 17 says it again. I've got verse 17 there. Um, so for 15, 16, it's not to angels that he helps, but humans. Verse 17, so for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. So before Jesus' birth, he was not human at all. And he was made fully human in every way. So this is the incarnation. You know, this is not a, a topic that pastors talk about very much. We talk a lot more about salvation and resurrection and sin and the Holy Spirit. But this is one of the really important Christian doctrines. Really, it's the second greatest miracle in the history of all miracles. It's greater than the miracle of creation itself. Um, the only greater miracle is the miracle of the resurrection. So... Jesus Christ has in himself two natures, a God nature and a human nature. And today we say his human nature is not like a part human nature. He's human in every way. Jesus Christ is human in every way, not sort of human. Everything of what it means to be a Christian, sorry, what it means to be a human, Jesus had that except sin. That's the only, only uh, thing that's missing. So he has a body, a flesh and blood. He got sweaty when he was in the heat, and he got hungry and had to eat food. When he dropped a brick on his toe, he felt pain. He had a human mind. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus Christ had a human mind. He has human emotions. Um, verse 18 says, he suffered when he was tempted. Not only was he tempted, that's part of human reality, to be tempted and go through trials, but when he was tempted, he suffered. So he's, he's in the human reality as much as it can be a human reality. That's the incarnation. The son, the second person in the Trinity, who was God, took on flesh and became a man. Okay, so 
That's interesting, right? So you can very fairly say, so what? So that, that is the kind of doctrine that theologians spend a lot of time talking about. They say, so what? That's really interesting. And the answer is, there are so many implications to the incarnation. And we need to talk about it more. I could talk a whole sermon to you about how the incarnation is an affirmation of what it means to have a body. About the fact that God taking on a human body affirms the goodness of the human body. And we should think about that. And it's so important, I'm not going to talk about it this morning because I have a whole message later in this series about that topic. But our, our, our series, uh, sorry, my, my, my text this morning, Hebrews 2, gives two reasons, two reasons why the incarnation is really, really important. And I'll state them negatively. That's the way you can understand it best. So firstly, if Jesus was not human and didn't have a body and wasn't incarnated, he couldn't die. He couldn't die. If he was God and immortal and no body, couldn't die. And secondly, if Jesus Christ didn't have a body, uh, he couldn't enter into our experience of trial and suffering. So those are my two big points today. Jesus Christ became human so he could die. And secondly, he became human so he could empathize, enter our trials, and enter our suffering. And that's our two points. Okay, so those are the two reasons we have this morning for the Incarnation. So, the first reason this morning is Jesus Christ became a human so he could die and liberate us through his death. The Bible asserts that we are under bondage, under all kinds of bondage. And Jesus' death is a liberating force that frees us. Let's read verse 14 again. Verse 14 and 15. This is the first half of the passage. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Why? so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and, this is the same thing, free those who by all their trials were held in the slavery by the fear of death. So Jesus Christ came as a human with a body so that he could die. Verse 9 of the passage says, he tasted death for us. And he did so so he could break the power of Satan, who holds the power of death, and free us who are held in bondage. And really it's talking about the resurrection. Jesus Christ in his life had a power that when he died was greater than death and was raised to life again. And we see through him there is something greater than death, a power that is available to us. Okay, so we've got to talk about death. We've got to talk about death this morning. You know, this is one of those times as a pastor, as a subject in the Bible, that wouldn't be my natural thing to talk about. But um, I think we've got to talk about not just death, but the fear of death, is what verse 15 says. I wonder if you had your thinking cap on in verse 15. Verse 15, I'll read it again. It says, Jesus freed uh, those who all their lives were held in slavery by fear of death. And you might be sitting there saying to me, well, I don't feel like I'm a slave to the fear of death. I don't know if you thought that. You know, maybe if I think about it a lot, if I go to a funeral, it's kind of something I think about. But my life isn't characterized by the fear of death. And we need to talk about this a little bit because I think we don't sense how amazing the gospel is 
because of the culture we live in. So uh, maybe this is maybe you don't sense the fear of death in your life. Maybe because we live in a culture, the culture we live in is a culture of denial. We deny the fear of death. We, we really we live in a dysfunctional culture. Um, so uh, when I drive to Fraserlands, um, I, I drive down Fraser Street usually, and I pass by uh, one of the cemeteries we have here in the city. And uh, I actually really love the cemetery. Um, my parents live right next to the cemetery, and sometimes uh, Kelsey and I will drop our kids off at my parents' house, and we'll go for a walk by the cemetery. And one of the things I notice is right next to the cemetery is this real busy road. And Kelsey and I will be walking to the cemetery, and there's just cars driving by. It's a busy road. And I think to myself, you know, these, these people in these cars, they're going to work, they're going shopping, they're visiting their friends, you know, what are they doing? And they're driving by without a second's thought to the fact that in that cemetery are tens of thousands of dead people. I don't know, it could be hundreds of thousands. When you walk through the cemetery, you see it. But so many people spend so much time driving down Fraser Street and between it on 33rd and by it on 31st and not thinking about it. And if they stop the car to think about it, they would think about the people that are there, but they don't because they're busy. And that's what, that's what our culture is like. We don't stop to think about what's real, What's there, what, the, the death that's there? Now, I need to, you know, you may be sitting, uh, uh, I, when I was with my uh, uh, father-in-law, which is in America, father-in-law, uh, he said to me, you know, I'm in my 70s now, a lot of my friends are dying. So we, I think about death all the time. So there, is, there are some people that are thinking about death regularly, uh, partly to do with age, and there are people, because of their jobs, deal in death in a professional way. I know there are nurses and doctors here, but for those who are not in that age bracket and not in that career bracket, death is something we only think about when it comes like a grief comment into our own lives. And we're totally unprepared for it because we're like, we're driving down that busy road. Um, uh, I read this book, um, this amazing book, this amazing book. So there will be people who are facing the fear of death. But I think for most of us, we, we just, we're not honest about the reality of death. Um, there's this really amazing book called The Undertaking. It's by a guy called Sean Lynch. And he, his job is an undertaker. So he deals in dead bodies and funerals and stuff. And he says his job is less about dealing with dead bodies and more about the process of dying and grief. And the undertaking is those two processes. The process of dying and grief. Really interesting. He points out in that book that we have removed death as much as possible from our lives. We've removed the process of dying and we've removed the process of grief as much as possible. We can't do it entirely, but in generations past, people would die and be sick in their homes. If you grew up 100 years ago, or indeed in other countries in the world today, you would have had a, in your home somebody sick and dying a number of times in your life. And you would have seen somebody go through the process of dying in your own home on a daily basis. 
And what's happened is we professionalize the process of death and put it away in institutions, and we let professionals manage death rather than face death ourselves. So sick people go to hospitals, dying people go to hospices, dead bodies are dealt with by undertakers, and death itself is removed from our lives as much as possible so we don't have to think about it. Maybe you've never thought about this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. When was the last time you saw a dead body? And not, not in a funeral setting, but a real, you know, real dead body. When was the last time somebody died in your home? It used to be an ordinary common experience that everyone went through regularly. And most young people today never, ever think about death. So basically, we live in a culture that deals with death through denial. Again, there are some people that face death, and I know some people here face death recently in tragic ways. So, um, uh, but I'm trying to talk about what our culture is going through right now. Um, and what, there's lots of problems with this. Um, uh, one problem is basically we're immature. Um, you know, uh, my dad's a pastor, and he likes to say this. Um, what, what movies deal with the topic of death deal with it like a cartoon, like zombie movies and vampire movies? I never thought about this. Um, there really is a rise in these cartoon things, and the reason is we are immature about death. Um, we have lost the resources that culture used to provide to deal with the dying process, to deal with death. Um, and so one of the things, there's lots of problems with this, um, immaturity. Another problem is when death really does come, it's, it's devastating. Um, when people deal with grief in their lives, it comes like a comet, and it, can, it really shatters and destroys people's lives because they haven't been thinking about it in a regular way. People can lose hope. Um, because we deny death, we lose all kinds of good opportunities. You know, the Bible talks about mortality as something Christians should think about. We should think about our own death. You know, not all the time. I'm not saying we should be morbid and just think about it all the time. But Psalm 90, for example, says, Our days may come to 70 years and 80, and if our strength endures, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I think one of the sources of immaturity in our culture today is that we don't think about our mortality. We live day to day, you know, the, the things that are urgent, and we don't think about eternity very often. We don't think about the fact that one day I'm not going to be here. We don't number our days. We don't treat each day as important and sacred. We don't gain hearts of wisdom. And again, I think there are some people here that are entering a phase in life where you really are thinking about death a lot more. And so here's the point that I want to make about the incarnation. In the incarnation, Jesus Christ has broken the fear of death. And that is great news for us. That is great news for those who are terrified of death. I know there are some people that are terrified of death, either your own death or the death of someone close to you. And it is great news for those who don't think about death at all because we are immature because of this lack. In the incarnation, Jesus Christ chose to become a person so he could die. Jesus Christ chose death for us. And it says he, he died for us. That's what verse 9 says. This is an amazing truth. Jesus Christ moved into the neighborhood because death is something that's 
here in our neighborhood. And he came to us to show us that there is a power greater than death. And that's the power of God and resurrection. Acts 26, Paul, Apostle Paul says, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead as the first fruits. And the first fruits means there's going to be more. There's going to be more. If you're somebody who's not, who doesn't know about the afterlife and what the promise after death is, I just encourage you to come and learn more about Jesus. Okay, so that's, I just, that's what I wanted to say about death. Again, that's not a topic that pastors love talking about, but that was here in the Bible. I think it's actually very, the Bible has a big word for us that there is a force that has broken the fear of death, and that's something we need to reckon with as individuals. Okay, so that's my first point, uh, that the incarnation, Jesus Christ, has broken the fear of death. And the second point that Hebrews 2 makes for us is that Jesus Christ was incarnated so that he could enter into human experience, become a merciful high priest. This is amazing. Let's go back to verse 16 and read the, the second half. For this reason, he had to be made, oh, sorry, verse 16, yeah. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. So that's humans. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. This is amazing. This is, this is amazing. I, I want more time. I'm going to say what I can. Um, he became human so he could become a merciful high priest. That is, he, was, he suffered in temptation. Uh, another part of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. So the incarnation is the greatest act of empathy that has ever happened. Jesus Christ doesn't just get a human body. He enters human experience, temptation. He takes on the psychology of being a person. Uh, chapter 2, verse 18, the last verse, singles out one part of what it means to be a human as trials, temptations. He himself suffered when tempted. Jesus Christ had this, you know, temptations and trials and failures as part of what it means to be a person. Jesus Christ entered temptations and suffered too. Jesus Christ's ministry was bookended by trial and temptation. The first thing he did before he um, went in to do ministry was he was sent into the desert to face Satan and, was, and faced three trials there. You know, uh, Satan, we're all tempted. You know, Satan comes and speaks to all of us and tempts us. None of us have spoken, few of us have spoken to Satan face to face. And none of us get Satan's attention like Jesus. Jesus' temptation was more significant and hard than everything. And the, almost the last thing Jesus did was the temptation, the trial in the garden, uh, where he faced his own death and prayed that, Lord, he would save him. And God said, no, you have to come to the cross. Jesus said, not your will, but mine. So this passage is saying that Jesus Christ entered into our experience so he could be a merciful high priest. So Jesus is a high priest with a certain quality, mercy and faithfulness, merciful high priest. So we've got to talk a little bit about being a high priest. So what does a high priest, what does a high priest do? And uh, this letter was written to Hebrews who would have known all about high priests, but we're not Hebrews and we don't have a high priest anymore. So I thought we'd uh, act it out a little bit just to have something a bit different. So I'm going to summon a high priest this morning. 
Um, if you feel like, give a round of applause to uh, Pastor Xavier. Um, thank you, yeah. And uh, Wilson's going to come up. Yeah, that's great. And uh, so I got a few helpers this morning. Yeah, Wilson's going to do some nice music for us. And uh, Becky, Pastor Becky, is that, well, you're a pastor at church. You can ask to do silly stuff. So Pastor Becky is going to be our, um, our Israelite who is coming to the high priest. So here's the high priest, and uh, he's a little bit fancy. I wish I could make him more fancy. Um, but uh, he's got a funny thing on his chest, um, and there's kind of 12 stones there. It's about, it's about the size of what the actual one would, would be in the breastplate. So um, the key thing a high priest does, the, the, the most important thing is represent. He represents people. He is the representative of people to God. So he's kind of like a, a lawyer or an ambassador. So he is the one who is allowed to enter into God's presence with other people. So I, I have built here this curtain. I, I wish I could have put it further forwards, but this is, this is where I could build it. And this is actually also the, about the size of the, uh, the curtain uh, in the tabernacle. Um, and uh, in, in the Old Testament worship system, one of the key things is that there is a barrier between us and God. That's one of the key, key things. That's the whole point of the, of the curtain there. There's a barrier there. And so the high priest represented people by doing two key things. And we're just going to act out those two things. So the first thing is forgiveness of sins. So here's Pastor Becky, and she's, she's asking, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> that's, that was a pretty, uh, pretty peachy a sacrifice. So the high priest would, would take the, he would basically um, kill and bleed an animal and carry the blood inside a basin. And he would go uh, into, yeah, great, you can go in there, uh, Pastor Xavier, that's great. High priest, yeah. We'll start calling him Aaron. And what I want you to notice is he disappears. That's what I want you to notice. So uh, Pastor Becky comes with her animal, and he goes into God's presence, and you can't see what's going on. The Bible describes what happens. He takes the blood, and he throws it on the altar, and he makes a prayer. And he is going into God's presence, appealing for forgiveness. One of the key teachings of the Old Testament is that we need forgiveness. God is holy, and we are not holy, and every time people try and come to him, it goes bad. But God wants people. He wants people to come. And he makes this crazy system in the Old Testament where he puts his presence in one place and he gives a representative and, he, and we can give blood. So the high priest comes out. And actually, I was reading it yesterday. He actually, what he does is he takes the blood, he throws it on the altar, actually. So he sprinkles some inside of the recipe. He kind of chucks. It's... Man, the Old, the Old Testament's gross, but it has this really amazing teaching, right? What is the cost for being able to go even send a priest in my behalf to God's presence? This is the life of blood. And the first thing Hebrews is saying is that Jesus Christ is our sacrifice. He's, it's this double image. He is both the high priest and the lamb that's killed, Jesus Christ. There we go. So I don't know, that's really famous. The high priest took a second thing into God's presence, and that's incense. So here we go. So we have a candle. So incense is like a, it's like a wax that's burned. This is not real wax, but it smells really, really bad. And the incense represents prayers. The incense represents prayers. Because you and I, as Old Testament Israelites, can't go into God's presence. 
We can pray. God will hear our prayers, and the Old Testament says that. But if you really have a prayer you want to have answered, you got to go to the temple and have the priest go for, for you into God's presence and pray. So that's great. You can go in there. Um, yeah, th- thank you, Becky. That's great. Um, in, uh, in 1 Samuel, there's this story about um, a lady named uh, Hannah. And uh, this happens. Um, Hannah's great problem is she doesn't have kids. Uh, she's married, and there's a, another, uh, another woman. In, it's like a, uh, this guy's got two wives, and his other wife, Penina, has lots of kids. And she mocks Hannah. Hannah's life is bitter. She's got a terrible life. She wants kids. God will give them to her. And she's got this mocker. And it says once a year, uh, the family goes to the tabernacle to pray for one of the festivals. And uh, it says that Hannah it weeps and fasts. And she doesn't just weep and fast all the time. She does it when she goes to the tabernacle because that's when she wants to pray. And one year... Uh, the high priest sees her praying. Thank you, high priest. You can come, yeah. Um, that, that's great. I'll, I'll just say one more thing. There's 12 stones uh, on the thing there, and it represents the 12 tribes because it really is a representative. Thank you, Xavier. You can go sit down, yeah. And uh, that's great. So the high priest is sitting there, and he sees this lady, Hannah, and she's praying uh, and weeping, and it's kind of a misunderstanding. And he goes up and talks to her, and she tells him what she's praying for. And he says um, this amazing thing at the end of the passage, uh, go in peace, may the God of Israel grant what you've asked him. And, you know, why is the high priest able to say that? Because he goes into God's presence for her, carrying the deepest, most precious prayer that she has in her whole life as incense before God, and that year she conceives and gives birth. It's an amazing, amazing story. So, so that's what a high priest does. He represents people with blood and incense, bringing the precious prayers of people into God's presence. So why does it matter that Jesus is merciful? Why does it matter that Jesus is merciful? Jesus, it matters in every way. The main point of this, the main application of this passage is that Jesus Christ helps. Jesus Christ helps. In chapter 2, verse 16, it says, it's not angels that Jesus Christ helps, but humans, not humans. Humans like Hannah that have need. We have a high priest much better than Eli. We have one who wants to come and pick us up and cleanse us by his blood and pull us into God's presence himself. And we know no longer need a mediator, but we have this high priest who loves us and comes to us and helps us. The word for help in chapter 2, verse 16, is the word for, it's like when a, when a, um, a mother cat picks up their kittens, like gripping by the neck and picking up. It's this amazing, amazing word. And God wants to pick up people like Hannah. We have this high priest who knows what is happening in our lives. He knows what is happening in your lives. He knows what is grief. He knows what is the, the trials. He knows that great failure that's in your life. One of my favorite passages 
Um, the other time in the New Testament this word help is used. Uh, the other time the, the high priest grabs somebody is in Matthew chapter 14. I'm closing with this. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus appears to his disciples in a storm on a, when they're in the boat, and he's walking on the boat. And, and Peter does this silly thing. He says, Lord, call me. He, Peter, for some reason, wants to go out and walk on the water with Jesus. And it, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come walk on the water. Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks, and he starts sinking. He starts sinking. The, Matthew 14 says, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, Peter cried out, Lord, save me. I don't know if you ever cried out, Lord, save me. We have a high priest that helps us. And the text says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And the word for reached out, I was amazed. It's the same word in Hebrews chapter 2 for help. This is the picture of the high priest. We are walking out and we're struggling and falling down. And what I want to say is, the Christian life, what it means to be a Jesus follower, doesn't mean, doesn't mean you need to pick yourself out, out of the water. It means we have a high priest who is merciful, who knows what we're going through, and he will be there to put his hand down in the water, pick you up like the mother cat, and pull you back into the boat. And I just want you to know that I have experienced this, and I hope you know this. And if you don't know what it means for Jesus Christ to help, I urge you today to go pray, Father, show me what it means for the high priest who is merciful to help me. He is there. He will pick you up. He knows how to help. He is a merciful high priest. He is a faithful high priest. It is a wonderful, wonderful message. Okay, I'm going to pray and I call up the, the band when we close now. Father God, we thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ to us. And we have hope in the face of death. We can face the fear of death. And we have this merciful high priest who loves us and picks us up and helps us, Lord. I pray for all my friends that need your help today. I pray that they would go to Jesus Christ and they would find his hand picking them up out of the water so they can worship and they can worship. Amen. Thank you, Ben, for that uh, reminder that we all have a high priest that we can go to. Church, let us stand so we can sing a song of response to that high priest and to God. Through the shadows 
hampers to pick up, and also prayer summer this afternoon. I'll be to participate in either of those. Benediction for today is Hebrews chapter 2, our text. <clears throat> we know that the Son did not come to help angels, he came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made us like us in every way, so he could become our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us. We are being tested. Amen. God bless you this morning.